0: Welcome to the Ankylosing Spondylitis Podcast. My name is Jason Sacco and I'm your host. As a 35 plus year spondy, I'm looking to use this show to bring the spondy community closer. I'll give my lifelong battle with A.S. to you. That includes triumphs, tragedies, and lessons. So sit back, enjoy, and know you are not alone. Joy Organics, the name to know for CBD products. Joy Organics is the number one zero-THC CBD brand. Joy Organics uses only organic hemp grown in the United States. Using industry-leading research and development, Joy Organics is known for product purity and safety with industry-leading reports and transparency. Joy Organics, your source for CBD tinctures, gummies, soft gel caps, balm, and so much more. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ankylosing Spondylitis Podcast. This is your host, Jason Sacco, and I hope everybody is having a fantastic day today. You know, and personally, these last uh, few weeks, I've been really dealing with some, what seems like, extra amount of fatigue. And I don't seem to be the only person alone. As I read through the Facebook forums, I've noticed a lot of questions on fatigue and how do you handle it? And what are you doing? And where's it coming from and it sucks and whatever else, you know, people are talking about. So this week's question of the week is going to be, what do I do about the fatigue? Well, we all know that with ankylosing spondylitis, we have increased inflammation and that inflammation can lead to and sometimes excessive fatigue, depending on, on the level of inflammation. So There's really a couple things we can look at. Now, in my case, I don't know if so much the fatigue is caused by inflammation as if I'm just not sleeping well enough at night. I think that's really my issue is not getting a quality enough sleep uh, when I do get some sleep. And I have a CPAP machine, and my mask just hasn't been sealing. My mask is old. I need to replace it. So I think that will fix some of the issues. But we all know that for a lot of us, the main culprit is inflammation, and how does it dovetail in with creating the fatigue? Well, if you have inflamed tissues, you know, along your spine and your hips, wherever, they can release a chemical that has a role in the fatigue that we deal with. So that's just one thing you want to think about is if you're feeling fatigued, is the underlying symptom really inflammation that's just not being treated properly via medication? So we also know That with these, we want to aim for sound sleep, which is me. So, this particular paper that I was reading gave a few tips. Some of these are easier said than done, but go to bed at the same time every night, you know, including weekends. Well, that's fairly easy to do since I don't have much of a social life. So, going to bed at the same time is, is usually not that hard. Take breaks throughout the day instead of naps. Well, that's interesting because I tend to fall asleep in odd spots. So, you know, I can just conk out in the middle anywhere so it's not really an issue of taking a nap it's just a maybe a power 10 minutes that i might be out another item is do relaxing pre-bed activities such as deep breathing exercises avoid sleeping in on the weekends or vacation days i don't generally do that i'm i'm pretty much up between six and seven every morning Uh, take a warm bath before bed that's probably not what i'm going to try but if it helps you great. I'd love to have a hot tub. I think that'd be fantastic. And then regulate the temperature in your bedroom. Well, mine stays, you know, chillier than the rest of the house, but that's just a function of the way that this particular place is built. So another thing you can do is check for anemia. I know I have anemia and I take 50,000 IUs of iron once a week. But if you're getting frequent headaches, dizziness, shortness of breath, or have some pale skin, that could be signs of anemia, and you want to talk to your doctor about that. Addressing that might help you sleep better. I think it's really a, a function of doing all of these, but you know, address each one one at a time. There are some dietary considerations. I know myself, my snoring, which is my sleep apnea, is a function of the weight I've put on. I need to lose a fairly large amount of weight uh, for me, and I think in doing that, I would have less sleep apnea and thereby less fatigue and maybe less inflammation. Get some exercise. Again, easier said than done, but there's always something we can do. I try to do some exercise before I go to bed while I'm watching TV. You have to figure out what fits into best for your your pain levels, your ability, what what you're capable of doing. So those are just a couple of really basic things to consider with the fatigue and, and really more designed around before you go to bed. The more we might be able to wear ourselves out before going to bed, the better we might sleep. So it's just something to consider and see if that doesn't help you out at all. And now on to today's topic. And I came across this article. Now, it is about a year and a half old, but I don't think that much has changed in relation to this topic. And that is, you know, ankylosing spondylitis in men versus women. What are some of the differences? Now, we know ankylosing spondylitis is a form of arthritis, and autoimmune disease. There is some question of whether maybe the classification might change, but for right now, that's kind of where it sits, an inflammatory disease. We know that it affects the spine. It can cause pain. It can limit range of motion. So it involves flares. You'll see many people talk about flares, and I'm having a flare-up uh, that can cause you know acute symptoms, and then maybe followed by a remission, but flares, there is no, you know, it's going to last a week, it's going to last two days, it's going to last six months, you don't know. It's a big unknown, so hopefully if you get one, it's followed by a period of re- remission where it's it's not such a severe set of symptoms for you to deal with at that point. Now, ankylosing spondylitis can vary a lot from person to person. Symptoms can be severe, but as we know, not everyone with AS develops spinal fusions or has serious complications. Some people might have a much more mild case, where others might be much more severe. Mine developed very young, very hard-hitting. So by the time I was 14, I was in extreme pain, and that lasted for oh a good 15 or so years, 18 years. And then, you know, there was brief bouts of remission in there, but by... My mid-30s, it started to change a little bit. Come into my 40s, I had more pain, second set of hip replacements. And then now I've been on a, a good biologic that works for me for the last couple of years, and that's really made a huge difference. So anyway, symptoms can be severe, as I said, but not everyone with AS develops you know the spinal fusions or has the serious complications. What we do know is that neither age nor gender affects the severity of the disease. So that's kind of interesting, and that's good to know. And while it was once thought you know, to be more prevalent in men, and there still is a few more men diagnosed versus women diagnosed, I think that number, like I've said in other episodes, is really going to come in parity as more and more women are properly diagnosed and are not left off on the sidelines with some different diagnosis just to you know, get them into medication and move them on. Then this delayed diagnosis in women can then mean that they may have more of an advanced disease due to being you know misdiagnosed for the x number of years however long it took them to get their diagnosis there is some research that does suggest there are differences in the way men versus women get the disease and and function with the disease and the progression of the disease but the findings have been oh kind of inconsistent so you know there is nothing at this time that says you're gonna see this in women and this in men, Uh, but they are trying to look to see which way each of the sexes is developing and advancing with AS. And then part of the problem is that research has focused heavily on men. Um, But again, as with the items, that's starting to change as more and more women are diagnosed or their misdiagnosis is corrected. So some recent studies have included more women, but there's not enough data yet to reach firm conclusions about the differences in uh, sexes with AS. And while the exact cause of AS is not clear, there is a pretty good idea that genetics play a role. One risk factor for AS is having a family history of the disease. I find this interesting because in my family, well, we don't know that many generations back, I'm the only one with it. So I am the entire family history of ankylosing spondylitis for my family, but I know there's others, fathers, daughters, mothers, sons, mothers, you know, that it's passed down from from generation to generation. We know that as um, ankylosing spondylitis progresses, you know, the pain becomes more debilitating and can cause a reduced range of motion. Uh, you might also experience pain in other areas of your body, you know, whether it be your hips, neck, shoulders, feet. Those are all susceptible and many more to damage from ankylosing spondylitis. Now, Some people, you know, they're only going to have maybe some very intermittent back pain, very minimal back pain and discomfort, while others can be quite severe. Mine is quite severe where I've had already the fusing of the spine and some fusing in my neck. So, you know, everybody's going to be different. I've met people that have had it for a number of years and have very little in the way of fusing, so it's great for them that that's the version of ankylosing spondylase that they got. It can be debilitating, as we know, and then it can eventually lead to disability. Early symptoms, you know, fevers, loss of appetite, uh, fatigue, anemia, inflammation of the eyes, iritis and uvitis. I've done episodes on all of these in a bit more detail that you can find in my past episodes. Genetic predisposition. You know, many people with AS, have a gene called HLA-B27. However, having this gene doesn't mean you'll develop ankylosing spondylitis. And on the other side of that, not having this gene, you could still develop ankylosing spondylitis. So the link between HLA-B27 and ankylosing spondylitis, uh, we do know varies by race and ethnicity. Uh, For example, among Caucasians, about 95% of those who have AS test positive for the genes. About 80% of people from the Mediterranean countries do. Well, only about half of African Americans with AS test positive for this gene. So, again, these are all areas they're looking into, and it's really stuff that can change on a year-by-year basis as more and more research is done on ankylosing spondylitis. With age, arthritis is also... considered a disease that comes about as you're older. It's what the seniors will get, as I used to think when I was much younger. But ankylosing spondylitis commonly occurs in people between the ages of 17 and 45. Some younger, some older. Some people are diagnosed as early as kids. That was me. Others, I see, are getting their diagnoses in their 40s and 50s, but maybe have had problems since their 20s. The age of onset is about the same in men and women. Pain location. It was previously thought that men with AS are more prone to pain in the spine and back than women, but there's been more research done that indicates that back pain is the main symptom for both men and women seeking diagnosis. In addition, it's found that women have more neck, hip, and knee pain, while men generally might have more foot pain. Again, these are general items. You, as a woman, could have, you know, a ton of problems in your feet and nothing really in your hips. I am a man. I had a ton of problems in my hips. So they're general. But again, everybody's going to be different. You know, reproductive health concerns. AS affects men and women during their peak reproductive years, uh, but does not really appear to affect fertility. It can affect, and you'll see this if you read through any of the, the Facebook forums, is the function, the ability to be intimate, the ability to create kids can be slowed down or minimized or even reduced, not because of inability to be, you know, create the children, but because of the pain associated with uh, conceiving, caring, and birthing the children. Women with AS who are pregnant or trying to conceive um, really want to talk with their doctors to find medications that can help them keep inflammation under control, And I've even seen some women online comment that once they became pregnant and got into the pregnancies, that put them in a remission from ankylosing spondylitis. So obviously you can't spend the rest of your life pregnant, but that's been beneficial for some of those women over those nine-month periods. Symptoms such as a stiff spine, back pain can continue throughout pregnancy. NSAIDs, you know, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen or Advil, can help relieve some of that pain, uh, but can cause harm to your unborn child. So don't just take them because you used to take them. Anything you're putting into your body when you're pregnant, as you well know, can affect the the baby. So make sure to talk with your doctor about what's appropriate for your pregnancy. As a side note, really not dealing with pregnancy or fertility or anything like that, but I came across an article from a magazine, uh, it was a study done, Back in 2015 was when it was published, and it was called Sexual Dimorphism in the Th17 Signature of Ankylosing Spondylitis. Now, I'm not going to go real deep into this because I'd butcher it with all my medical terminology pronunciations, but what I will say, and I'm going to put a link to this in the show note, is the conclusion was kind of interesting. And the conclusion read, the results of the study demonstrate distinct sexual dimorphism in the activation status of the immune system in patients with AS particularly in the TH17 axis this dimorphism could underlie sex related differences in the clinical features of AS and could provide a rationale for sex specific treatment of AS i found that really interesting the whole study as i read through it and i hope you'll take the time to read it as you know 5 years ago they were looking many years past but this study was looking at how might we treat men and women that get this disease? We already know that there could be some differences in the way the disease presents itself between men and women. We do know that those differences that in the way the disease presents itself may result in women being taking a lot much longer time to be treated, which could then result in, as we said earlier, a much more severe case because of the delay in treatment. So, I really think it's interesting that we have this disease here and it gives us all some of the same characteristics, some of the same problems, but can present itself in so many different ways that they're even now looking at, is there a way to treat men versus women so that both sexes get the proper treatments? It's not who's going to get the better treatment, who gets it worse. It's How do we look at this disease or do we even look at this disease based on a men versus women's uh, situation? And then how do we treat it from there? So I I just, I find that very, very interesting. And I think that is a very well needed and long overdue way to determine this disease and look further into it. So finally, we know that if you have ankylosing spondylitis, whether you're a man or woman, get help the sooner the better. I personally am a believer in biologics. I like them for myself. I thought they've done well. I know other people can have some quite adverse reactions to them. So talk to your doctors about what is the most appropriate way for you to treat your ankylosing spondylitis. After diagnosis, you know it's important to see your rheumatologist at least once a year. You're probably going to want to start off every six months, but at least once a year even if you feel that your symptoms are mild, and then lastly, we all know that there's no cure for ankylosing spondylitis, but it's the early detection that both men and women need, and that can help to control how it disease progresses by giving you that early treatment. So anyway, early treatment, early diagnosis can help alleviate pain and prevent the disease progression in both men and women. So. Well, there are some interesting studies done to say, you know, how do we treat the different sexes? Overall, we all tend to get the same symptoms, get treated, get documented. If it gets to a situation where you're looking to apply for disability, at least here in the States, I I don't know how it works in other countries, but at least here in the States, that documentation is going to be critical. Did you get in there? Did you do everything the doctor said? Did you continue to show worsening symptoms to the point where the disability becomes needed? So you control that by making sure you stay in and visiting the doctor and making sure that you discuss with him or her how that disease is progressing in you. So again, I can't thank you all enough for hanging out with me. It's great to have you guys here and interact with you online. And I look forward to many more episodes of of talking with everybody. Take care and have a wonderful day.